Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Mark 1, 40 to 45. A leper came to him begging on his knees, if you want to, you can cleanse me. Deeply moved, Jesus put out his hand, touched him, and said, I want to be clean. Then and there, the leprosy was gone, his skin smooth and healthy. Jesus dismissed him with strict orders. Say nothing to anyone. Take the offering for cleansing that Moses prescribed and present yourself to the priest. This will validate your healing to the people. But as soon as the man was out of earshot, he told everyone he met what had happened, spreading the news all over town. Things are different. For example, I can see you guys without flies in front of my face. <laughs> There's some things I didn't, I didn't think about that until Tina brought it up. She goes, oh, I'm so glad the flies are gone. I was like, the flies? I don't have to look at you guys pretending like the flies aren't right in front of my eyes between us. Um, But there are some different things that we have to work through. So this is a new house for our family, for our church family. Um, For example, we're still trying to figure out the Wi-Fi in the place, so I don't even know if it's going to work. The air. Is it stuffy for some of you guys in here? Yeah, it wasn't for me, but for some other people. That's my new lungs. My new lungs make it so that nothing's stuffy. But for some of you, this is a stuffy area. So there's all these things we have to work through from signs to parking to... Do we have the donuts up there by the kids? Do we keep it here? That's a big debate going on between the church family. Some parents are like, no, keep it down here. And the kids are fighting, no, we need it up there. So there's all these things we've got to work through, but we're going to do it together. And so for the next two months, we're going to figure out all the things and try to make this as, as close as possible to um, the best tool that we can find to be a church for people who don't go to church, to be a people through this facility, through the way we interact with our neighbors, through everything that we do, that we would find a way to meet that mission, to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground and the hope of them reaching holy ground. So let's pray for that. And uh, while we're praying, we'll pray for the Wi-Fi since my notes are on it. Because if they're not there, then, well, we'll see how it goes. (sighs) Father, we surrender to you all of this. Um, This is your sanctuary now and we pray that we would be a blessing to you and to this community we ask this in jesus name amen so in 1997 at least that's when i think it was uh, i'm older now so my memory's off but i was able to stand next to uh, one of my best friends i got to stand in his wedding his name's frank and was up in carpinteria and the ceremony had finished. So we're standing up here. You know, I can't remember if the hands were behind or in front. I think they were behind. So I'm standing here like this. And he walks down the aisle because they had planned ahead of time that after they kissed and were introduced as Mr. and Mrs. Frank, they would walk out. But before they exited, they would go to their family. So they went and greeted her family first, Jill's family. And then they came over and greeted his family. And I've known Frank for a long time. We went to college together, and I've seen him interact with his family, especially his dad. Him and his dad are very close. 
He's Frank. His dad's name is Frank. So he, I don't even know how many, how far down the Franks go, but I know he's known as Frank Jr., and that's Frank Sr. And so he walks up to his dad, and his dad had um, coached him in basketball, went to all of his basketball games, walked with him through school, because Frank's an only child. There's no brothers and sisters. It's Frank. Frank, Frank, and his mom. And the relationship they have is more than father-son. It's like friends, but it's this tenderness, this support, this encouragement. And so when he walks up to his dad, I can see the back of Frank's head, and I can see Frank Sr.'s face. And Frank Sr. reaches out and doesn't say a word that I could hear at that point, and just puts his hand right on his cheek. I've remembered that moment all my life. It comes up off and on. Actually, it was Frank's birthday this week, and so I was texting with him, and I said, I'm going to share that story. I've shared the story twice. This is the third time this week, and this is the first time I haven't cried because it stirs all this stuff up within me. What is it stirring up? And what it stirs up is that I wanted that. I wanted what he had. I didn't know it at the time. I just saw this this picture of perfection. Like, that's the way it's supposed to be. His dad is not perfect. He shared some words that I didn't get to hear after that, but it was, it was frozen in time because when he put his hand on his face, what it said was, I love you. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. That's what that picture said to me. That's perfection. And I wanted it for me. I didn't have that. We live in a culture where we all hunger for that because we've lost touch with how to give touch. During my study leave uh, and rest in August, I read this book uh, that friends of mine had recommended, and I thought I, I thought I understood it. It's called The Blessing. I mentioned it a few times, and I told you we were going to talk about it. Well, here we are. And what it was focusing on was the importance primarily of parents to their children to bless their children. And when they said blessing, it, there, were, there were elements to it. In, he referred to scripture, and he, he focused on several places, but I want to focus on one place in particular. He talked about um, Jacob and Joseph, or Israel and Joseph, and the blessing that goes through that family, how there was a particular time and a particular place where they would give the blessing. Think of um, Esau, right? Jacob and Esau, there was a blessing, but Esau was supposed to get it but didn't get it, and it went to Jacob, but there was that element that there was a time and a place where the father was going to come to his son and he was going to bless him. When you hear that story, you think about the, the material goods, that was not a big deal to Esau. What mattered was that blessing. That I love you, I believe in you, I'm sending you out. So we're going to talk about that for the next couple weeks. But this morning we're going to talk specifically about touch. Um, because in every blessing there's different elements, but there's always the element of touch. But for our culture, we have lost this concept of touch. Right? Like if I tell you all to stand up and touch each other on the cheek, you're like, yeah, what? Like you don't even want to look at the person next to you 
unless you're related. You don't want to touch them. We just don't do those things. Um, so I told you we were going to be winging it. So you're in charge of the slides. It's not working. Deal. So let's see what's going to come out of my mouth for the next, well, who knows how long it is now without notes. I could just go forever. But um, there is a, a study that was done, and uh, it was a behavioral science journal, and they wanted to see how touch was handled in different countries. So they did one in, in Puerto Rico. They went to um, San Jose, and there they try to figure out how often does the average person get touched in an hour. That's not the slide. We'll get to that in a second. But they wanted to figure out how often does the average person get touched in an hour. In Puerto Rico, 180 touches for the average person in an hour. In Paris, in case you don't know where that is, that's France, 110. So a little bit less, but still pretty high. Then they did one in Gainesville, Florida. Two per hour. Can you imagine being from Puerto Rico and then coming to Gainesville, Florida? Hey, no one wants to touch you. You're not related. We don't touch. We touch two times an hour. Don't make it three. That's their average. As bad as we are here in the United States, you go to London, zero. They don't touch at all. <laughs> I don't know how they figured that out. Does that mean no one in the country has ever touched at any time? But that's what they came from, the results. The average is zero. So my guess is it's less than 0.5, and they had to round it off down to zero. We've forgotten how to touch. We've forgotten the importance of physical touch. And yet, Jesus had to deal with the same thing with his disciples. In Mark, there's a, a, a moment where he is with his disciples, and these kids are being brought to Jesus. Can you go to that slide, Steve? Um, and so these kids are being brought, and the disciples are like, no, 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 get away, get away, get away. Don't bother Jesus. And it says that Jesus was indignant. My guess is none of you have used that word indignant in the past three months. You might have read it. You might have heard it on the radio, but we don't use it. But this is what it means. When you think of being indignant, it's just like you're shocked. You're like blown away. Like, seriously? That's the word you use. So if you're like, indignant, what does that mean? That means when someone looks at you and goes, seriously? They're indignant. They can't believe that you just did what you did. And so Jesus looks at his disciples who were trying to keep the kids from him, and he's like, seriously? I'm indignant with you right now. This is what he says. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me, and do not try to stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Then after he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. So this isn't a new problem. I don't know what the average per hour was in Israel at the time of Jesus but people still forgot the importance of touch. But we want touch. It's designed for us. It's even weird that I'm, I, I was going through this message with my friend and I was sharing. He goes, so the point of your message is that you are saying that God is calling us to touch each other? I was like, yeah. Yeah. And I thought, I've never heard anyone preach on that before. But it's in God's word. 
We're going to get more into that here in a second. It's part of the blessing. It's part of who his people are meant to be. And we want it. So can you go back to that graphic, Steve, with all the weird colors? So this is another study that was done um, of how people want to be touched. It's not in just the United States. It's like Finland, um, uh, St. Petersburg, which at that time was Russia. Um, so this, if you see where it's dark, that means don't touch me. But white and yellow, wherever you see white and yellow, it says I'm okay with being touched there. So white says, please touch me. Yellow is, I'm okay with it. So all of us, we need to learn appropriate touch. We're going to talk about that because you can't just say, hey, let's go start touching people. That's not what this is saying. It's not saying, hey, just let people touch you because there is a lot of times in our lives and for some of us to a very abusive level, someone touched us in the black when they weren't supposed to and maybe repeatedly. Obviously, that's not what we're talking about. There is a time and a place for appropriate touch. So on the right, there's strangers, then it goes to acquaintances, cousins, uncles, aunts, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, friends, and partners. So partners, way over here, means you're married. So obviously, there's a lot of white and a lot of yellow. Um, and then, it, you know, your friends, like, hey, I'm sort of okay with you touching my knee, but that's kind of a little weird. So the top is the front of you, like, hey, like if, you know. One of my good friends, if John Tisdale comes up and goes, hey, how you doing? Starts touching me right in my, my stomach. That's probably a little bit in the, the dark orange. Like, you know, JT, let's, let's not do that. I don't feel as comfortable there. But if he touches me on the shoulder, I'm cool with that. Right? Another place is the head. There's places where we, we were designed to be touched. There's a friend of mine, um, when she was in college, she struggled mightily with depression. Nobody would know. She's always smiling. Very happy person. But she was in this dark place and she didn't know what to do. But she knew something that helped. And so she made weekly appointments to the salon. Um, I think she just had to get her hair cut. But I'm calling a salon. I don't think she had enough money back then to afford a salon. But she went somewhere where they were touch her head. She didn't need her hair done. In fact, I don't know if she ever changes her hair. But she would go there every week because she just wanted someone to touch her head. You know what I'm talking about? Every week. Imagine, like, is she here again? We don't even do anything. All we do is wash her hair. Every week so that she could have her head touched because she needed it touched. We have lost sight of this. Some of your families, I don't know how touch is handled. In my family, you do not interact. Um, I'm, once I became a follower of Christ, and nobody gave me a sermon on touch, but something happened, and I became the hugging guy in my family. Um, our family's not very close. In fact, a lot of my family, we don't even get along. And I'm talking about me getting along with them, um, them getting along with each other. But I would just, that's what you're supposed to do. It's just that. We were at a party last night, and my son was walking out of it, and one of his friends said, yo, what, you're just going to leave? It was a girl, of course. <laughs> we got a hug. Like, if you just walk out, something's not right. You know what I mean? You know when you're doing it, and sometimes it becomes such a habit, you're just like, well, this is what we always do, but it never quite feels right. And so I come up to my family, and my Uncle Gary, I'll come up to him, and I'm like this, and he's like, oh, that's right. You're the hugging rose. So he's like, okay, 
pat, 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 pat. You know, the one hand, this hand's like loose. Because all the dudes in my family, they walk around like this. What are you doing? I come up to my dad. And I'm like, hey, dad, so good to see you. As I'm walking up, the hand's out there to shake my hand. So I go, I'm coming in, and sure enough, he knows it every time. The hand's like, right there in my sternum. I go, you can keep putting the hand out, but I'm coming in. And he's like, oh. In fact, sometimes his hands come up. Sometimes they just sit here and flop like a seal on the side. Because it's not what our family does. But I want to make sure that my kids know what that is. My kids need to know that physical touch. They need to know that because that's part of the blessing. That's part of what it means for us to bless each other. And so with my kids, even when I really don't feel like it, I need to be near them. I need to hug them. I need to touch them, touch their shoulder. Um, One of my best friends said that his dad would always enter into the room and if his mom was there, his dad's wife, he would always go to my buddy's mom and touch her on the head, on the shoulder, sometimes pinch her butt, in front of him, but whatever. If he entered the room, he could not just let her be over there without touching. It wasn't the perfect marriage. It wasn't like, oh, look at that cute couple all the time. They went through some very, very, very rough stuff, very rough stuff. But he knew that it, it was important to touch. And so with my kids, they, a couple of them reached that teenage time where, you, especially teenage boys, okay, are we really going to do this right now? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's on. And I remember one particular point recently where um, my, one of my sons just made me so angry, and I so didn't want to bless him. I didn't want to do anything good for him at all, but it's like, oh, what am I doing? I know what I'm supposed to. So even without really wanting to, I went over and I put my hand on both of his shoulders and he didn't want to turn around so he just kept staring at the computer doing his homework. I put my hand on his shoulders and I looked down at his head and he's a teenage boy so you can imagine the hair. I don't know how often last time was that he showered. And I put my hands on his shoulders and I kissed him on the forehead and I said, I love you. Well, not on his forehead, on close to his forehead but in the hair. Because that's what we have to do. I think of Frank Sr. putting his hand up, and I want my children, I want my friends, I want all of us to get back to who we were made to be. So we're going to look at uh, scripture here. This is, um, if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to see a man who has not been touched or received the blessing, maybe ever. He had uh, leprosy. Um, could you bring that slide up, Steve? That's walled. Did, was it just there? And I imagined, no, it wasn't there. <laughs> okay. um, so Mark 1, 40 to 42. So before we get into this scripture, you have to think of what is going on with this leper. This is in all three of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're looking at the one in Mark. In one of them, it says that he was covered in leprosy, covered, Um, which means he was quite advanced in his leprosy. The way leprosy works, it starts with a speck, and then it begins to spread. It'll even go to your hair. Your hair turns white, completely white. 
your skin will become scaly. Um, it's very visible. However, the real problem is what leprosy does inside because it destroys the nerves, the nerve endings. So you become like what we would call a superhero. You feel no pain. It sounds like a gift, but it's a curse. Because when you get scratches or cuts or lacerations or bruise or fractures, you don't feel them. You don't know it's happening. So you can't protect it. Even if you know it's there, you have all of this instinctual um, nerve-brain connection which allows your body to protect even when you're not thinking about it. But when you receive leprosy, you can't. And that's why they get infections and they lose their limbs. And because it is such a devastating disease and people don't know how to interact, they're afraid of lepers. So much so afraid of lepers that they isolate them. And so a leper uh, is supposed to, if they have clothes, they're supposed to be ripped. It was the law. It was the religious law. So it was the religious people on top of everyone else that created laws to isolate the lepers, to protect themselves. And so they'd have to have ripped clothes. It was the law to have messy hair. Your hair had to be unkept. I don't know how they enforced that. I don't know. Oh, it looks like that's a part. We're going to have to punish you for that. I don't know how they did it, but you had to have your hair all messy. And then you had to walk and yell unclean. Yell it. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. And then there had to be, it was your responsibility to make sure there was a six-foot gap between you and any other human being. They would also not let you live in the city. You had to live out in a colony. Now, it wasn't like they set up all these little condos. They had caves. They'd have to live in these caves. And then someone would come out and deliver your food, and they would drop it down to the entrance of the cave, and then they'd take off. That was the life of a leper. Their family and their friends and their acquaintances would begin to drift off. It would start with the acquaintances. Oh, that stinks for you. I'm so sorry. And then they're just kind of gone. Then your friends would come around for a while, but that would begin to shrink down. Then it would go to just, you know, your tight circle. Brothers, sisters, parents. But even they would stop coming along as much. And even your mom, for this leper, would come. And out of her guilt and shame, realizing the gap, realizing the absence of blessing, the absence of touch, would realize that she's a part of that. And so she'd even stop making eye contact and maybe show up a little bit less. I mean, this leper, they're alone. And so one morning, this leper makes a huge decision because he hears about Jesus. Jesus, who people have said, and Jesus has claimed, he said, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. How is God going to interact with him? Is God, has God cursed him? Has God abandoned him? We've talked about that, haven't we? Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about this, this blessing and this curse? To bless is, is to bring life. To bring life means to move towards. To curse means to move away. To cut off the stream of life that comes, to dam it up so that it's just a little muddy trickle, that's the curse. And so he has to ask himself, look at my situation. Look at what I'm going through. Has God cursed me? Has he turned his back on me? And if this man 
who everyone says is the son of God, and if I see him, then I've seen God, then how is he going to interact with me? How will he and I interact? And so he gets up, goes into town, careful to obey the law, yelling unclean, his hair is unkept, keeping the six-foot radius, but he does what no leper would even consider, most likely. He approaches Jesus. He came to him and he falls to his knees and he asks for help. He says this to Jesus. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I'm willing, be clean. The leprosy left him at once and he was clean. But if you see anything this morning, I want you to see the order here in which things are done. He touches the leper before he heals him. Jesus doesn't always do that. He's healed quite a few people from a distance. He's not even touched certain people. They've touched him, and they've been healed. One time, he didn't even go out to see the man's daughter. He said, she'll be healed. You're good. From a distance. But everybody's there. Everybody's crowding around, and he wants everybody to see. They're wondering, what's he going to do with this leper? And Jesus reaches out and touches him. I was looking at my son's head, thinking, do I really want to kiss this thing? Nobody was looking. It was just me and him. But I'm like, ooh. Leprosy, it's, it's advanced in this man. There's cuts, there's sore, there's pus. It's, it is, there is the fear of it transferring to you. I remember back in the time when, when AIDS was just discovered and everyone was so scared to touch each other. Interact. Well, well what, if I, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if they spit and I catch it? What if they breathe? What if I'm in the same room? There's this fear. This blows away AIDS because they understood it. They understood that it was transferred by touch. But he breaks all the law, and I'm talking about Jesus here, and he touches him before he heals him because that's what he needs more than anything. He does heal him, and as we know, not everyone gets healed. If Jesus says they're healed, they're healed. But with us and other healings, not everyone gets healed all the time. But for this man, everything's going to change now. It says that he was clean right away. But you know what else happened? Now he feels pain. Do you think he's like, oh, man, can we take the pain away? Let's just go back. No, he'd rather have the pain so that he could be touched. It is a gift to feel pain. We think of it as a curse. But to feel it means that we know what it is to be touched. And there's obviously much more to that. As I was wrestling with this passage, wrestling with this reality of the blessing, I was thinking, what is it that we're really asking us to do with this? What, what do we do? The first thing we have to do is to receive. We have to be open to the idea of letting there be yellow and white spots in our body so that we can be touched because God wants to touch us and the way he's going to touch us is through each other. He did this in front of his disciples so they could see. He rebuked his disciples earlier so they could see because they're the ones that are going to be his hands and feet moving forward. 
They are going to be the ones that give the blessing. They are going to be his ambassadors, his representatives. That's us. We are the people of God. We are called by him, and so we're the ones that have to carry this on. And so we have to see him do this to know that it's God's intention, that there is nothing that is going to separate us from him. So if you think you're cursed by God, you are wrong. God loves you. God wants you to be touched, and he intends us to do that for each other. It is, such, it, is, it is something that as we move forward is going to be so awkward. You're going to be the person that's approaching people as they put their hand right out there to keep that distance between you and them. Not quite six feet, but just enough to keep you away. Hey, let's shake hands. That means don't come near. This whole idea of touch is difficult for me because when I got the lung transplant, they put me on this medicine. They say it's going to turn down my immune system. And I'm like, well... I'm kind of around a lot of people. Okay, well, you can't touch them. I'm like, "Mm, yeah, that's really not going to work. Well, you could die. Uh, You'd think it'd be an easy one. Okay, never going to touch people. So for the first, you know, little bit of time, but something's always wrong. I'll be with people, and I'm like, hey, and I'm walking away. Like, you just know that something's not right with that. Now, it would be completely wrong if I just walked up to people and started kissing them on the lips because that's, I'm sure, very black space for them. Like, what are you doing? You're freaking me out. But we all know that there's something wrong. We need to interact in a different way because we are going to set people free by doing that. In that book, he gives the clearest picture and it haunted me for a while. And I thought, wow, that's powerful. And then as I thought about sharing this morning, I thought, I've got to share that story. It's, uh, he was talking about what does it look like to touch appropriately? What does it look like to bless each other? And he has a friend who's a professor, a speech professor. He's done it for like 25 years. Pretty um, reserved man. My picture of this man is that he's got his tweed jacket with a little elbow patches. And he has an intro to speech class. And the question he always asks is, um, what do you like about yourself, and what do you not like about yourself? Imagine that for the first day. I mean, there's no touching going on right now, but uh, really, you want me to go there? I just met you, a bunch of students in here, I don't know. It's beginning speech, so they could all be freshmen, who knows? It's not the kind of thing you want to lay out there. But he does it every year, and they're going around, and everybody shares. But this one redheaded girl named Dorothy is in the back, kind of slumped over her chair, and she doesn't respond. So the professor assumes that she can't hear. So he gets up, walks to her. She's still got her head down and pulls a chair up next to her and sits down and says, so what do you like about yourself and what do you not like about yourself? She lets out this (sighs) full freshman girl sigh. And then she takes her hair that's covering most of her face and she pulls it aside. And on her cheek, is a birthmark that is the same color as her hair. It's got grooves, and she says, now do you know I don't like myself? And he said he's never done anything like this before. This is a reserved, tweed-wearing professor. But he said he reached out, he put his hand on her shoulder, and I'm sure this was a red zone for her, 
but he reached out and kissed her right on the birthmark. And he said to her, you're beautiful to God and to me, honey, in front of the whole class. She just loses it. For 20 minutes, she's sobbing. So you've got all the kids standing there. They don't know what to do. So some of the dudes are like, I don't know what to do. So the girls know what to do. They stand up. They walk over to her. Oh, and they're comforting her. And she's, she can't talk. She's got snot bubbles coming out. She's shaking. As it begins to pause, she looks at him and said, I've always wanted to hear those words. Why didn't my mom ever say those words? Why didn't she ever touch me there? Why didn't she ever kiss me there? Jesus said, I have come to set the captives free. Touch is part of that, if it's appropriately done, with discretion. What does that look like? So what do we do with that? Am I supposed to go around touching people? Like, what does that look like? We need to bring touch back. It starts with spouses going out of their way even when they don't even want to look at their spouse and putting their hand on their shoulder or on their head. I don't feel love for you right now, but I love you. The touch. Spouses are supposed to touch. Parents need to touch their children appropriately. Embrace them. They need to know. They never grow out of it. We haven't. We were kids. Even when they become teenagers, even when they're upset with you, you don't let them get away without an embrace. Never let them hide from your love. Because the, a silence of touch creates confusion. Just like when my son was at the party last night and his friend said, wait, you're just going to walk out. She's like, wait, are you mad at me? What, she, that's what she's thinking. Is there something wrong? What's going on? We're good friends. Because they are. They're really good friends. They're nothing more than friends. They've known each other forever. But when you don't, is something wrong? That's what our children think. And you who are here who are children, you need to do that to your parents. Your parents have assumed, oh, I blew it, I blew uh, and so you sometimes need to break the wall and come to them. It's not always the parent's job to be perfect because they're not. So we need to approach them, friends. We don't need to always have our hands in our pocket. We need to start appropriately, hands on the shoulder. Maybe even the first step is shaking hands. Fine, shake hands. And the words are going to come with it. We're going to talk about that next week, but it starts with us not being afraid to cross those lines and to let people know, hey, don't be confused. God loves you. I love you. And I have this picture. There's going to be many dads and moms, hopefully this week, they are going to reach out with their hand. And not just with touch, but with words, say, I love you, I'm proud of you, and I believe in you. Not just one time but that it would be a habit and they would know without a doubt that they are recklessly loved, not by just you, but by the God who sent you. Father, this is a very difficult, confusing thing to teach and there's so many ways this can go wrong. Like with food, 
that you've blessed us with, like with um, the fruit of the vine, like you've given us. We just find a way to mess things up. But Lord, this ability to touch is a gift that you've given us. So show us how to use that. Show us how to use that to bless others. Bind us together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, good morning. Last, uh, last week I had the opportunity to, to close, <clears throat> and I mentioned that we were, I was really excited about being here in our new facility and also really excited about the message that Boog was going to be bringing forward from the blessing. Um, I think he knocked it out of the park this morning. And I did have the opportunity to um, begin reading this unbelievable book. The blessing. There are five elements of a biblical blessing. A meaningful touch, a spoken message, attaching high value, picturing a special feature, and active, genuine commitment. Boog started out this morning by talking about Frank and Frank, that special touch. Each one of us needs that special touch. I hope I don't embarrass you, Lee, but this morning, I had an opportunity to receive that blessing, a blessing by my brother Lee back here. He came in, and I walked up to him to greet him this morning, and he gave me a hug like I haven't had in a long, long time. Just about pulled the breath out of me. That's the type of touch. That's the, a meaningful, appropriate touch that guys like to have. My encouragement to all of us today is that as we leave this place, that we let this message kind of permeate our thoughts during this week and remember how much we need that touch and how much not only do we need it, but we need to receive it as well. So my encouragement is to identify those that may need a, a touch and touch them appropriately, but touch them. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Boog's message. Thank you for bringing and introducing us to this book of blessing. And thank you for setting the example of what it is to bless one another. Thank you for each one in this room this morning. Thank you for this beautiful place. In Jesus' name, amen.